Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews 2, and I want to read for the setting of our lesson, verses 10 through 18. Hebrews 2, 10 through 18. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. And again, I'll put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I, the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And that it might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. We're going to talk about Jesus being our brother and Jesus being fully human. This section of Hebrews, like other parts in chapters 1 and 2, talk about and give a strong teaching about the nature and person of Jesus Christ. This Jesus makes a difference in who he is, what he has done for us, and how we're to live. The family language, the sibling language, is used to help us embrace the humanity of Jesus. I think for a number of years, it was hard for me to get my mind around the humanity of Jesus. Early Christianity had a different problem. Early Christians and early disciples of Christ knew Jesus and his family. So they accepted his humanity. They had a hard time. Oh, he's the son of God. Really? We know too much about his family. How can he be son of God? Well, as years went on through Christian history, that dynamic kind of got turned around. That people talked more and more and knew more about the divinity of Christ through Scripture and it was harder for them to understand the humanity of Christ. The writer of the book of Hebrews is going to make a strong point about why it was important for us to understand Jesus is our brother and what that means to have that relationship with Jesus. Very important for us. It's a powerful imagery that underscores the family nature of the church. The church is filled with brothers and sisters in Christ, and we are related to our brother, Jesus. Now, because that's true, there are going to be uh, several things that come out of this. And we're just going to hit highlights. There's so much in here that we're not going to have time to hit everything, but I want to hit the highlights of what it means that because Jesus is our brother, first of all, we're one and the same family. He's very clear about this. The one who makes holy and the ones who are holy, they're one in the same family. 
Oh, okay. And Jesus says, the writer does, Jesus is not ashamed to be called their brother. Do you have, have you had a sibling that you were ashamed to claim? <laughs> I've talked to several people through the years. Now, that person was the black sheep in the family. I'm ashamed of them. I don't want to talk about it. I don't even want to know that they exist. So we all know about the dynamic of shame attached to a sibling that has brought bad reputation on the family, and nobody wants to talk about it, okay? Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Now, we, we tend to think of it the opposite of where Paul says in uh, Romans chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He talks about proclaiming the gospel and that we shouldn't be ashamed to confess the name of Jesus. So we're aware of all of that. Probably what we're not as much aware of is that Jesus is declared here. Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers. Oh, you mean even though I'm as mistake prone and even though I make the mistakes I make, and even though Jesus knows my heart through and through, he's still not ashamed to call me his brother. I'm here to tell you, that's good news. <laughs> that is good news. Because think about this. Sometimes we say and do things that we would be ashamed to let others know, don't we? We try to hide that. We're, we hope they never find out. But Jesus already knows. And he's not ashamed to call us his brother. Okay, look at verse 13 that I read. Here am I, the children God has given me. Do you realize that you and I are gifts that God has given to Jesus? Now, I don't know that it was here. That I never even used to think about that. I'm a child of God, but I'm a gift that God has given to Jesus. Really? Oh, my goodness. Now is he not ashamed? Not only is he not ashamed to call me his brother, but he sees that relationship as a gift given to him. Boy, that is special, isn't it? Family image of the sibling drives home this idea of Jesus being our brother and what it means for us. Secondly, because he's our brother, he also introduces a fascinating thing about Jesus. And the NIV uh, translates it, um, author, some English translations say pioneer of our salvation. It's in verse 10. Uh, it's a wonderful word. Uh, it's almost akin to our English word trailblazer. Uh, when I was growing up, I used, and I mean everyone I could find, when I was, uh, say, eighth grade through about the 10th grade, I'd go in the library and I would find all the biographies of famous pioneers of American history. So I read everyone I would get my hands on, whether it was Daniel Boone or whether it was Kit Carson or, you know, whether it was, um, who are some of the other ones? Um, you know, uh, Lewis and Clark. I mean, I, I had read them all. They fascinated me. They were trailblazers. They went first. And the writer of the book of Hebrews is going to say, Jesus is the pioneer and the perfecter of our salvation. He blazed the trail for us. Now, because he's our brother and he functions in this role as the trailblazer, he's going to say some things 
that I think are critical. We need to hone in for just a second. Now, I posted this on our church Facebook. Some of you may have seen it. Uh, but it's this idea because I'm really thinking about this this week. Because Jesus is the trailblazer in the way that he's gone, first, I don't have to be afraid of suffering. I don't have to be afraid of death and dying because death doesn't have the final answer. Jesus' victory and his resurrection proclaims that Satan, death, fear of death, bondage of the fear of death, all of that, none of that has the final word. Okay? Jesus, as our pioneer, the author of our salvation, he's the one who has blazed the trail for us. He's gone there already. And he's here to tell us today, you don't have to be afraid of death. Oh, wow. We really need to hear this, don't we? The second thing, he's blazed the trail through the maze of life's suffering. Uh, right now, Nancy and I are reading a book about a person who is uh, a Christian author trying to work out the idea of how can you have suffering in a world where you say God is good and God is love? Well, I think one simple answer is that once sin entered into the world, guess what else entered in? Chaos, destruction, death, suffering, all kinds of things that can be attributed to Satan getting Adam and Eve to do his bidding, okay? Um, you may have remembered, this is probably, it's been a long time ago. I say long time, about 30 years ago. Um, there, was a, there was a Jewish writer named uh, Rabbi Kushner, and he wrote a book called Why Good Things Happen or Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. It was very, very popular when they hit the New York Times seller list. Everybody was buying a copy of it. Uh, he deals with all these questions, I think, in a pretty good way. He doesn't come down for I would as a Christian. Uh, as, a, as a Jewish writer, he basically said, well, the reason I think there's so many things that are bad in the world right now is because God's not through creating the world yet. Well, that's not how I read Genesis. Genesis, God did get through creating the world, but it was Satan entering into that creation that changed everything, Okay. So the, the wonderful thing about Jesus is that as a pioneer, he has blazed a trail to let us know that suffering, two or three things are suffering. Number one, God gives us resources to be able to face the suffering. Number two, it can be redemptive if we let God work through it. Let me give you an example. And you all know this when I say in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about his own suffering. He calls it a thorn in the flesh. He didn't tell us what it was. Uh, through the centuries, Christian writers have tried to guess what it was. You know, uh, was it blindness? Some people think that maybe he had scoliosis or curvature of the spine, so he couldn't walk well. Um, maybe he had some kind of speech impediment, so he couldn't speak well. Whatever it was, it was something that Paul felt hindered his ministry, and he couldn't stand it, and he wanted it just gone. So he prays, he prays to the Lord, and then he said, the Lord said, no, it's going to stay there. <laughs> then he goes, then I learned that through my weakness, 
through my own suffering, can the glory of God be seen. That's hard for us to wrap our minds around, that God can somehow work through our suffering to position us to anticipate not only being with him eternally. Uh, C.S. Lewis, the Christian writer, says that pain and sorrow in this world is just God's reminder that this home is, this world is pain and suffering. Reminder, this is in our home. But for Jesus as the trailblazer, he went through the worst kind of suffering in the world. And then there's this astounding comment we're going to find later on in Hebrews that who for the joy set before him, he endured the suffering of the cross. Who for the joy set before him. How did he get through that? He knew there was a bigger picture. He knew that God had a plan. Jesus was part of that plan. And he didn't take his eyes off of that, no matter how much he suffered. Okay? Now, Jesus is trailblazer. It also means that he's fully human in every way. And this is what the author really wants us to hear. Jesus understands. Jesus empathizes. And he's present during our trials and our suffering. He's very close, and his ministering presence gives us peace through it all. It's hard to get my mind around that, and Jesus is fully human. Sometimes I think in the past, because I'm really thinking hard enough this week, I think there was a part of my thinking that felt like Jesus being divine kind of shielded him from some of the worst things of being a human being. Bible never says that. I think he's fully divine, but boy, was he fully human. That he faced all of the suffering and all the vulnerabilities and everything about being a human being. He was fully human in every way so that he can identify in every way with things I'm experiencing. What's the song we sing? My Jesus knows. One of our hymns. Boy, does he know. This truth about Jesus is so comforting to me because as pioneer of our salvation, he has blazed the trail and he bids us follow him. Now, Jesus is our brother. It means that we declare his name together in the assembly. I'm amazed as I go through the book of Hebrews, there are references to some significant things going on in the assembly. And in this chapter, it's important to note that when God's people assemble together in the very presence of Jesus, we are declaring his name with our praises. So that, I was thinking about this, scriptures that we read, sermons you hear preached, lessons that we hear taught, uh, prayers that are prayed, everything that we do is because we're honoring and we're praising Jesus, who is our brother. Um, I thought about this. If, if a stranger were to come in and sit in our assembly and then leave and go, who is this Jesus they keep talking about? See, that's what you want the assembly to be able to do because the person coming, participating, then leaving. Man, they talked a lot about this guy named Jesus. Who is he? Now, I hate to say this, but in some Christian assemblies today, you would never know that Jesus was being worshipped. A person would come in and sit down, his name would never be. Uh, that's a phenomenon that personally I know has been going on now for 
20, 30 years. And the reason I know that, <laughs> let me tell you this little story. This blew my mind. You ready to? There was a group of young people uh, that were so dead set against traditional church. They wanted to start a new church. And they were starting on Sunday afternoon. Well, they asked me to speak and to preach that Sunday afternoon for them. I didn't know all their background. I just knew a couple of people. So I thought, oh, okay, uh, this is really cool. I'm getting invited as this church is beginning to preach. So I was all excited. Well, we got there, and the first thing was they decided they weren't going to have communion ever. Communion's out. And then the other thing was, instead of singing hymns about God and Christ, the person who led the singing that day sang songs that he had written that week about his family and stuff he had gone through. I'm like, wait a minute. We're missing the boat here. And there, I looked, nobody had a Bible. I said, okay, I'm going to fix this. So when it came time for me to speak, I had my Bible. So I had it open where they could see it. And my lesson, I read out of the passage of Scripture, and I preached from it. And I preached about Jesus Christ. I wanted them to know that if you claim to be Christians who are trying to assemble, guess who's got to be at the center of all of this? It's got to be Jesus. They can't be singing about your family and all your problems this week. Because I guarantee you, if a stranger had been in that day, had I not spoke, and I really felt like the Lord led me to do this. I was like, I got to do something here because I don't like what's going on, what I see. But had I not done that, I guarantee you, a person would have walked out that day and said, wonder who they were worshiping. Wonder what was going on. So it is by intention, and I make no bones about it, that our worship here in this congregation, whether it's scripture reading or prayer or Bible study or lessons or, you know, the Lord's communion that we're going to have here in a little bit, all of this centers on our Lord Jesus in its own purpose. Because I think that's what God expects. Now, we can say more on that, but because Jesus is our brother, we declare his name together in the assembly. Uh, next, oh, this is amazing. Next, he quotes from Isaiah 8, we can trust him. Wouldn't you hate to have a sibling, a brother or sister you couldn't trust? I've seen and heard that in my life. What different kinds of families? People come to me and say, I want you to hold this for me because I can't trust my brother. You know, families don't have that trust. Here's the amazing thing out of the Isaiah 8 passage. And I wish we had time to go deeply into it, but Isaiah 8, the Lord comes to Isaiah and said, okay, you're going to have a second son, and here's what I want you to name your son. I want you to take a large scroll, and I want you to take a pen, and I want you to write this name. And here's the name. Mahar Shalal Hashbaz. That's his name. <laughs> now, if your Bible is like mine, it will have a footnote and it translates it for you. And, and the translation of that phrase is something like quick to the plunder and swift to the spoil. But it was supposed to be a sign that Israel, in spite of Assyria and the pagan nations trying to go against Israel and destroy them, Isaiah's second son with this name 
was telling Israel, listen, doesn't matter what's going to happen around us. You can trust God. And, I, and here's what it made me think. This is kind of cool. What name or sign do we keep in front of us every day to help us remind us that we can trust God no matter what happens? See, think about it. If you had a child, I'm going to name my child. I can trust God. His first name is going to be trust. <laughs> okay. I can trust God. Jesus is our brother. Says that we can trust God. Jesus is our brother. Is fully human in every way. We talked about this a little bit. The writer goes on to say, he's of flesh and blood like we are. Part of sharing this humanity means it was necessary so Jesus could taste and experience death. And by doing so, he overcame and destroyed death's power. I can't imagine anything um, more stark or real than the world having to, this last two years, to have faced COVID in all of its varieties. It's made people sit up and take notice that death is real. A lot of people have died because of this. It has made people all over the world think about death, aware of its presence, and you can't hide it. And hopefully, as a result, more people have thought about their preparation for eternity because of it. Listen to verse 17. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Well, because Jesus came here and he's in flesh and blood, he's merciful and he's faithful. And I'm so glad. Last of all, as a brother, he's able to help us when we're tempted. Having been tempted, he helps those of us who are tempted. I'm so glad we've got the story of his temptation in the Gospels. I mean, Satan unloaded everything on him. Now, what? There's some irony in the temptation. I don't know if you've caught this. But Satan comes to Jesus and says, now, if you be the son of God, if you fall down and worship me, I'll give these things to you. Like Jesus didn't already have. It. I mean, come on, Satan. <laughs> you know, there's such an irony here. So, but Jesus resists those temptations. There's also a little phrase in, in Luke's a picture of the temptation that, that we need to always kind of tuck in the back of our brain when we think about Jesus' ministry. Luke makes this little comment. Satan left him for a season. The temptation that we have recorded wasn't the only time. I just wish we knew all the other times. Satan apparently came back time and again in Jesus' ministry to try and destroy who he was. He left him for a season. I would have loved to see what the next season was like. What I guarantee you is whatever Satan threw at him that time, guess what? He didn't win that one. <laughs> and when he came the next time, you know, and tried to trip up Jesus, if you be the son of God, whatever he did, he didn't win that one. He didn't win any of them. So because Jesus, having overcome temptation, he's now able to help those of us who are tempted. We need to hear that as Christians, we don't have to give in to temptation, 
It doesn't have to define who we are. We have wonderful resources. We've got Jesus as our brother. Having been tempted, he overcame and he can help us. Uh, we find later on in chapter 11 of Hebrews that the, uh, the wonderful victory of uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, of prophets, um, and let's see, the prophets and the martyrs, all of those, they were victorious. And it's for our example. Uh, we have scripture. We have the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I love that song we sang while we go. Near to the heart of God. We have our relationship with God. All these wonderful resources that help us fight Satan. Because I'll tell you one thing. He's not going to give up. Because Jesus is our brother, we can say we're one in the same family. As a pioneer, he knows about suffering. He's been there. He's blazed the trail for us. We declare his name together in the assembly. Because he's our brother, we can trust him. He's fully human in every way. And he's able to help us when we're tempted. Are you ready to participate in the initial act of Christian baptism? Where you can live a life with Jesus as brother. He's not your brother. May God instill in our hearts the joy of being able to participate in that kind of life where we embrace Jesus as brother. And let's live to the fullest joy and embrace in the fullest way the fact that we're living a Christian life with Jesus Christ, who is our brother, who understands in every conceivable way and who offers every conceivable resource for us to live the faithful Christian life. If you need to come this morning, as we sing hymn number 475 for the invitation, my hope is built on nothing less. It's built on Jesus. That's it. So let's stand and sing this hymn. If you need to respond, let us know.